Welcome to the Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia. Join us as we take a look inside and outside our classrooms and connect with students, teachers, alumni, and more. Good morning. I'm Rachel Langley, class of 1989, the year that most of your parents were born. 2022, I'm a wife, a mother, and an executive at Visa, happy, healthy, and very humbled to be with you today in this pinch me moment. When I came to Darlington in 1986, I left a hometown of 19,000 people, a number probably smaller than most of your Instagram followers, and there I was famous, I was recognized, I was comfortable. I arrived at Darlington a second semester, 13-year-old freshman in the dead of winter, terrified, friendless, and with two measly suitcases. No room decor, no family picture frames, no motivational calendars, or a matchy-matchy duvet set for me and my roomie, Allie. Now, perhaps like many of you, coming here to Darlington was a big deal. There's the financial sacrifice and the lonely prospect of having the baby of our tight-knit family miles and miles away. I was the hometown class clown. I was a struggling baton twirler (laughs) and looks like a pretty sleepy one. I was putting my education last and not reaching my full potential. My parents were wise enough to know that I could do better and gave me the gift of Darlington. Now, standing up to the fear I was feeling on that first night in Trapeer Hall, I pushed through, I worked hard, I got involved, and I grabbed Darlington by the tail. I wanted to make my parents proud, but more importantly, I wanted to change, and I wanted to be the best student that I could be. During those next three years here in Rome, I would embrace the Darlington experience. I made amazing friends that that once shy girl in the winter of 1986 did not think possible. I would join the corral. I would sorta learn to speak Espanol. Fortunately, I would receive my first D in history, but my first A in biology. I became a person's hall resident assistant my senior year on the freshman floor and being the favorite study hall monitor for my lax management style. You're welcome, class of 92. I would audition for Greece and get it, compete in the Georgia State speech competition and win. During my days, very early at Darlington, I met the rebel, the challenger, the renaissance man, the person who pushed without being pushy, the teacher who changed my life and has had such a profound effect on me that 30 years later, I find it impossible to adequately explain his impact. The person I'm speaking of is David Powell. Now, most of you, now most of you may not know uh, Mr. Powell because after 30 years on the Darlington faculty, and even serving as the academic dean, he retired five years ago. But my hunch and my hope is that you have your own David Powell here at Darlington. He was the champ 
of channeling our teenage angst, our individual spirit, our personal weirdness into our own unique voice. Like my unhealthy obsession with collecting Cabbage Patch dolls and sort of dressing like them. Let it sit in. He taught me that I could be irreverent without being disrespectful and that good writing and emotion go hand in hand. He was the teacher who wanted you to win more than you wanted to win. And he held the space for our greatness while we figured out how to get there. This rebel was the coolest person in the room with the warmest heart. This challenger was the person who taught us to have a point of view without fear of being judged. This Renaissance man was the person who cursed at just the right time for emphasis. He made me love English, the arts, drama, and music. He made me love Led Zeppelin and Shakespeare. He made me love to write, debate, and communicate. During my senior year, with just eight weeks to graduate, my world stopped. My father died. And my father was my hero and also a teacher. I shared dad with thousands of students who sat in his English lit class. And like David Powell, he was beloved. And on a cold and bright March morning, David Powell loaded up the Darlington van and headed to Alabama with my closest friends for my dad's funeral. And I remember four things about that day. Tons of yellow roses all over the First Baptist Church, my small and trembling hands, and my mom's grip, and my sister's silent and steady tears, and returning home to find a brown envelope curled up in the handle of our back door. It was from David. Inside, a script and a note that read, if you want the lead, it's yours. We start rehearsals on Monday. He always knew the right thing to say and the right way to push. He made my Darlington experience unforgettable, and I would be remiss without sharing this, honoring his legacy, and thanking the tremendous faculty and staff here today that wake up every single day on a mission to make a difference for you. I am, some 30 years later, being invited to speak to you about my career, my struggles, my successes, my secret sauce. Well, my secret sauce happens to be a family recipe. My family had a dress shop and a wedding business, and I grew up participating in the business. Now, during my unpaid internship, the family business, I would sell my first wedding gown when I was 12. I would steam countless tuxedos, and I would find myself decorating a church on a Sunday morning instead of lounging with a bowl of Fruit Loops over a riveting episode of the Smurfs. At the time, I did not realize the single biggest gift that I was receiving, the gift of work ethic, the gift of tenacity, grit, and drive. After Darlington, I would follow my sister, Laura, and go to Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri, a woman's college. And there I was famous for my campus tour, where I studied abroad in nine countries. I was the social chair for my sorority. I starred in over 25 plays and musicals. 
I represented Pakistan and Gabon in a mock model United Nations. I had an internship with the late great Chicago running back, Walter Payton, and I graduated with honors and a bunch of student loans. <laughs> After commencement and all the gumption and ambition that I could muster, I moved to New York City, the Mecca, the Holy Grail. If you wanted to be in events, you wanted to do events, you had to be there. Now here's a pro tip. New York City is a very hard place to live. Everyone is on a mission and without a strong sense of purpose, New York City will swallow you whole. And when you're 22 living in New York City, you typically have a fifth floor walk up with four roommates who empty the fridge and never the trash and always seem to get the last hot shower. You visit the happy hours for the free olives and the hard boiled eggs. You learn to shop sample styles like Bella Hadid. And I was no exception. One of the best benefits of living in New York is the diversity, the energy, and the access. Access to people and places. Access to big thinking and big ideas. And if you're willing to work really, really hard, access to build an amazing career. In 1989, I got my first job as an event assistant at the British American Chamber of Commerce through a connection. A former classmate from Stevens, Kiki Walker, who knew I wanted to move to New York and to do events and offered to refer me. Now, as you embark on your career journey, you're going to hear this word connection a lot. Trust me, make a note. By a show of hands, how many of you have heard the expression it's not what you know, but correct. Well, I would challenge that. It's actually who knows you. And you can start to be known if you're committed to stepping out of your comfort zone and growing your personal network. Networking, that's a learned skill and an art form. To build a network is to form connections that you may need in the future to support your career. And this process takes time, dedication, and follow through. Making connections leads to conversations, and conversations leads to opportunities. Connections are people who will vouch for you and promote your skills. However, please note, they are not a replacement for actually having skills. Let's be honest. Do you think I would have been cast as Principal McGee in the Darlington Players production of Grease if I did not know how to hand jive, it's lost. Okay, 70% of the positions I've held throughout my career were not even posted on a job board. I got them through connections. And here's another pro tip. Approach connections with no agenda in mind other than genuinely learning about the person. You don't know the transformational role that they could play in your life or that you could play in theirs. I had one of those transformational experiences when a team building professional named David Shackley, who I had booked in years past to run a survivor themed ropes course, and I just generally loved working with, he called me out of the blue to say that he was the new VP of events at AOL and was looking for a right hand event manager. And he wanted me to interview for the job. Well, I did just that and I got it. I would go on to stay at AOL for nearly 10 years. I was promoted four times, eventually taking David's job when he left. 
making connections pays off. Networking, in the end, comes down to widening the pool of people available to help you. Author Joseph Campbell shares the concept of the hero's journey, the idea that self-made is a fallacy and co-made is what it's all about. And I have been blessed to be a product of co-made, having connections, mentors, and a community that has allowed me to thrive. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're finding yourself wondering like, okay, great, Rach, how do I get started? Well, start with me. Go to LinkedIn and connect with Rachel Jane Langley. Go ahead, make a note, do that later. Seriously, I might need your help one day. Now, over three decades of building and leveraging connections, I would continue in the path of event marketing and event management, climbing every step of the ladder, assistant, coordinator, senior coordinator, manager, senior manager, director, senior director, VP, senior VP, and even owner. I would work for some incredible brands, Verizon, L'Oreal, AOL, Univision, Rent the Runway, WeWork, West Elm, Nordstrom, and today Visa, which Glassdoor named a best place to work 2022, and I am thrilled to be part of Team Visa. I'm living out my dreams, having done over 2,000 events in 100 plus cities for thousands and thousands of people. I am grateful, connected, and driven. All right, now let's just back up for a minute. What exactly is event marketing? Event marketing is the experiential marketing of a brand, service, or product through memorable experiences or promotional events. And event management is the process of organizing, promoting, and running the logistics of those events. Now, events come in all forms, shapes, and sizes. For instance, Visa is a sponsor of the Super Bowl next weekend, and we will be in LA hosting Visa consumers from across the country who have won a trip to Super Bowl 56. They're gonna meet NFL players, they're gonna tailgate, they're gonna be amongst 80,000 fans for the big game and the halftime show with Snoop Dogg. Now, Visa is the only form of payment accepted in the stadium, so if you want some popcorn, you better bring your Visa. Also, we are hosting our top executive clients. Visa's motto is everywhere you want to be, and I love creating experiences that brings that to life. When I joined Visa, my friends and family, they just immediately thought that I had access to countless and countless Visa cards. It's super annoying. You know, I don't just give out Visa cards every day, but today is a special day. Under the pews where you are seated, Go ahead, take a look. I have hidden a few Visa prepaid credit cards. Look really good, look really good under the rows in front of you here. Really good. Okay. Freshman, you're not excluded. Look really good up there. Okay, now settle down. Let's get back. Let's get back to business at hand. Bring it back down. Bring it back down. Okay. It is, I heard someone uh, older up here say it was worth the effort to bend over and look. Okay. 
Today, there are roughly 500 people here in the chapel. And if you were a lucky winner of one of the 50 visa cards I hit under your seat, please stand up. Okay, okay, okay. 10% of you woke up this morning with the probability of being lucky. Congratulations. And now another round of applause for the 10%. The luck that 50 people just experienced was unlikely to be true or actually occur. Luck is the phenomenon and the belief that defines the experience of notably positive, negative, or improbable events. When it comes to a successful career, luck is not a strategy that you can depend on. You can't just hope that you're gonna be at the right seat at the right time, get a visa card and a dream job. Let's shift from feeling lucky to being strategic. And I wanna share with you five success strategies, qualities that I have used to grow my career and live my best life. First, start with why. One of the things that all good events have in common are that they start with why. Simon Sinek is the author of Start With Why and his best-selling book based on the premises of most people start with what because it's the easiest thing to communicate. Then they discuss the how, but rarely the why. In order to inspire, invert the order, and start with why, the purpose, then the how, the values and actions, and then the what, products and results. Why is having purpose, not just doing an event to do an event, but to make an impact, to inspire change, to make a connection. And this way of thinking does not only apply to event marketing, starting with your own personal why will help you countless ways as you make decisions about college, career, and shape your own purpose-driven life. My company at the time, AOL, was a financial donor to St. Jude Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. And each year, writing a check and feeling pretty good about that donation. St. Jude is a magical place that takes care of very, very sick children with cancer, and no family has ever turned away for their inability to pay. So donations really, really do matter. As a company, we wanted to do more with our St. Jude partners. We wanted our engagement with this life-saving institution to have expanded meaning, so, we started with our why, and we designed an event experience that led with our why to help people. AOL, or America Online, as some of you may or may not remember, was the company with credited to getting America Online some 30 years ago, and they continue to be in the business of helping people through access to news and information and connecting the world. AOL sent a team of employees to St. Jude to unveil a mobile lab consisting of 100 mobile laptop carts uniquely designed to fit conveniently over hospital beds and tiny wheelchairs. 
The tricked out carts could move easily from room to room and provide an easy and convenient way for patients and their families to stay connected while at St. Jude. We started with why, and the results were impactful and inspiring. Now, I want to share the importance of adapting. Several years ago, I was working on the FIFA World Cup in Brazil, and my company at the time, Univision, the largest Spanish-language media company in the U.S., had the broadcast right for, rights for the 64 games, including the World Cup, to be televised in the U.S. And Univision was planning a series of trips for our advertisers to experience the world's game. And it allowed us to showcase to these advertisers the power and the excitement of the sport and why they should invest their money with us to get their products and services in front of our viewers. Now, in the run-up to the World Cup, the Confederation Cup would be played in Rio de Janeiro as a dress rehearsal to test the logistics in the city and the stadium operations. Things in Brazil were not going very well. The country was marred by protest and civil unrest. The struggling Brazil middle class was frustrated by political corruption escalating taxes, increased bus fares, and public service fees. The once popular Brazilian president was losing control. Stadium and other infrastructure construction was behind schedule, and what was being constructed was being made poorly and way over budget. Citizens took to the street to let their voices be heard as I was boarding my eight-hour flight from JFK to Rio. I had designed an event for hundreds of clients and executives who were scheduled to travel in Rio in just three short days. And the reality is, at that time, Rio was not a safe or desirable place to be. We could not depend on secure and seamless guest experience from the airports and the hotels and the restaurants and transportation or security personnel. We could not put our guests in harm's way and bringing our clients to the Confederation Cup would have been a risk potentially would dire consequences. I had to adapt. My definition of success at that moment would be de really defined by how quickly and efficiently I could cancel an event versus execute an event. And for an event planner, it is devastating not to deliver an event. You work and you plan blood, sweat, tears, sometimes for years, and if it gets canceled, you just lose a little bit of your soul being adaptable in the face of adversity was the only choice. We had to adjust, we had to protect the health and safety of our clients and the reputation of Univision. And during a 24-hour period, we rolled out a strategic communication plan, we canceled flights, we canceled hotel rooms, we canceled planned excursions to the Copacabana and Christ the Redeemer. We undid elaborate parties and placed return shipping labels on hundreds of boxes we never even opened. The skill and strategy of adapting and overcoming served me well in those crazy days in Rio and countless times throughout my career. All right, number three, reflect and improve. After every project, we do a post-mortem reflecting, celebrating, and reviewing lots of data and analytics and discussing hey, what worked, what didn't, and what could we approve upon. A conversation had started recently around sustainability efforts 
at meetings and events? Were we doing the best we could to protect the environment? At the time, we were preparing for an event and were in the early phases of issuing venue and vendor RFPs for the HuffPost Game Changers. We decided that we would use that event as a turning point to supercharge our sustainability efforts. Our team created a sustainability scorecard to keep us accountable, and we awarded the business to a caterer, a production company, transportation, entertainment, decor, and branding companies that shared our values around sustainability. Huffington Post Game Changers is an annual event to highlight 100 innovators, visionaries, and leaders who are changing the way we look at the world and the way that we live in it. These honorees spanned across fashion and politics, sports, philanthropy, and were selected by millions of HuffPost readers. We started our work and our planning. We used recycled materials in our event decor and centerpieces, which were donated after the event. We used energy-efficient LED lighting on the stage and in the room to set the mood. We rented furniture, created eco-friendly red carpet signage that would be repurposed, and we developed a strategy with our catering partner around food waste. We were already doing a pretty good job recycling paper and plastic at events, but what was stopping us from recycling food waste? People were starting to compost in their homes, so why couldn't we do this on a large scale? The event's leftover appetizers, entrees, and dessert scraps would be collected and composted into fertilizer and used at farms in upstate New York. Why go to all the effort? Food scraps are the number one material sent to landfills, accounting for one-third of all trash. More food is thrown away than paper and plastic combined, costing millions of dollars annually and generating 20% of the nation's greenhouse gas emissions. We would return our event food scraps to the soil to nourish Mother Earth. And this, along with other efforts, created a game-changing event and a sustainability strategy that we moved moving forward. Through reflecting and the action of improving, you can make small, big, and lasting changes to improve the way we work and the impact we have on our community. Let's talk about courage. The concept of courage started for me when I decided to come to Darlington, and the act of leading with courage has been a lifelong journey. In fact, standing here in front of you all this morning took a pretty large cup of courage. Midway through my career, things were going pretty well for me at AOL. The company had gone public. I produced the ringing of the bell ceremony on the New York Stock Exchange. I had taken top clients to play golf at the old course at St. Andrews. I even got the AOL running man into the mascot hall of fame. I produced concerts for John Legend, Kenny Chesney, and Green Day. I planned Heidi Klum's famous Halloween party, and I escorted wounded warriors onto the field at Super Bowl 45. And funny enough, I even planned a baseball game for the Jonas Brothers. I loved my job. I was comfortable. The phone rang. It was a connection, and an opportunity was calling. Randy Falco, the CEO of Univision, was calling to ask me to join his team at Univision. And I had worked for Randy previously when he was the CEO at AOL. He was a trusted friend, mentor, and honestly, the best leader I had ever worked for. Randy was calling to offer me a chance to do something I had never done before, to create a department, plan and be accountable 
for a multi-million dollar budget and build an event business from the ground up. Now, all my previous roles included me stepping into someone else's shoes, following a legacy, inheriting staff, and making an operating plan work until I could make changes. I took a deep breath and I decided to give up a job where I was comfortable to accept a role where I would be uncomfortable, but present me with the opportunity for professional growth. On a beautiful day in May, I started my new role at Univision, where I would make new connections with new colleagues, make a business case for how events could transform a brand and generate revenue while growing viewers. Mark Twain said, courage is the resistance of fear, the mastery of fear, not the absence of it. I had to find the courage. I had to lead with courage and use my courage to drive success. Now, finally, the last strategy I'll share with you this morning. Do your best work, always. For event professionals, the last two years working through a global pandemic has been, in a word, challenging. I have my current role at Visa through another connection. A former colleague turned best friend, Jenny Stahl, we had to, on the team at Univision, and she had left to go to Visa to run global sponsorships. Her referral and endorsement of me opened all the right doors, and I walked through them and sold myself. I started Visa on a Monday in December in 2019, three months before the world as we knew it would lock down. Working remotely via video, text, and phone, I started dismantling events that I didn't plan, activating force majeure clauses on contracts that I didn't negotiate, exploring if virtual events could be a thing, and hosting Zoom happy hours to get to know a new team and colleagues that I was hoping to build lasting connections with. Not the most ideal way to start a new job. Up until this point, I had built a successful career largely by doing in-person, face-to-face events, interactions, and experiences. Visa Payments Forum, our largest, most important client event, was four months away and would be my first real test at my new job. COVID news and protocols and guidance changed from day to day, week to week. I needed a new plan, one that was nimble, creative, and honestly, brilliant. Not a rehashed or a borrowed plan B, but something new that would change the way that I ever operated. I assembled a SWAT team. I analyzed our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, exploring each of these to understand what we did best in the past and devising a successful strategy for the future. We did focus groups and surveys to a sampling of internal stakeholders and external clients and past attendees. What did they need from Visa to continue to run their businesses through these unprecedented times? The data was in, the proposal was pitched, we were shifting to virtual, moving from June to September, scaling from 2,000 to 8,000 attendees, and making a huge pinky swear promise to absolutely do the best work of our lives. We secured the best production partner to help us design a virtual experience, a team of pros who went into the trenches with us to help us solve problems real time and basically all the time. We built a secure online experience that met the rigorous needs of the financial industry and allowed the sharing of information and attendee interaction. We hired speechwriters who helped us create compelling scripts 
for 50 pre-recorded video sessions and a live stream main stage. We worked with TV presentation coaches who could easily translate on-air skills used by broadcast news reporters to train our visa subject matter experts, many of whom had never been in front of a camera. Graphic designers joined the team to make captivating visuals and animations and to bring to life concepts that would not be on an 80-foot LED wall in a Chicago hotel ballroom, but now on a 13-inch Mac, most likely on someone's kitchen table. In the category of anything is possible, our strategy worked, our event was a success, and we succeeded our survey expectations, attendance goals, and client engagement. I had to learn to do something new really, really fast with a new team at a new company, and this was only possible because of a personal commitment to do my best work no matter what. The role I'm most proud of and have been working my entire life to land is that of wife and mother. Four years ago, I met my husband, Dean, online in New York in a city of eight million people where Dean and I lived on the same street, two blocks apart from each other, but had never met. I was well into my 40s, deep into my career journey, and fairly set in my ways. I was starting to think that maybe I wouldn't find love. Maybe I wouldn't get married. Maybe I would never be a mom. But that all changed on Cinco de Mayo 2017 when I met Dean at Rosa Mexicana, and even though I brought two friends on the date, he still asked me out again. Thanks, Dean. I have been a gross my entire life. Not the easiest last name to carry around, but I did it with pride. I got a better last name, Langley, and a partner who would change my world. On a cold and bright March morning, with a view of New York's Central Park from Mount Sinai Hospital, I gave birth to our daughter, Grace Magnolia, and she is the best thing that has ever happened to me and Dean. Grace will be 11 months old tomorrow, and it's fitting that we celebrate here in Rome with her. Most of my friends did the mommy thing years ago, and I feel incredibly lucky to have a baby, and I, as I sort of see it, just under the wire. <laughs> Having a child later in life has its benefits, its advantages. I know who I am, I'm a little bit more zen, I have a little bit more patience, I have a little bit more time, have a little bit more money to hire an amazing nanny and a husband and who cares like me a little bit less about rules. Hashtag cool mom. <laughs> Thank you for letting me share a little bit about my life and my career with you today. I'm grateful. The Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia, is a collaboration between the Communication, Advancement, and IT teams, and the intro music is student-produced. See show notes and hear more episodes at www.darlingtonschool.org podcast.